0: Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: Once I realized that like I have the power to control these thoughts and change them, and through that, I can change my life,
0: you're listening to the mindful mama podcast episode 134 today we're talking about the care and keeping of mum with allison canavan welcome to the mindful mama podcast here it's about becoming a less irritable more joyful parent at mindful mama we know that you cannot give what you do not have and when you have calm within then you can give it to your children I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Field's Mindful Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate calm in their daily lives and to create more peace and cooperation in their families. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the mom of two girls who challenge me every day to hone my craft. Fo Showa! Sure. So I'm so happy you are here today. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. This is going to be a really fabulous episode. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Alison Canavan, who is an award-winning author of the wellness book, Minding Mom, and a health and a wellness coach. She's a master NLP practitioner, motivational speaker, and mindfulness facilitator, and having traveled the world as one of Ireland's most successful international models for nearly two decades, in recent years, she's devoted her time to her greatest passion, true health and well being. And this conversation is really going to open your eyes about many things. I'm sure, my friend, there is a lot to hear, a lot of wisdom coming at you rapid fire from Allison in this conversation so join me at the table as I talk to Allison and you're gonna hear how you know there are no shortcuts you can't avoid the work how healing is an accumulation of the small things that you do and that we only get our answers through quiet when you're not giving yourself any silence you can't grow amen I hear that so I can't wait for this conversation. And first, let me tell you really quickly that if you're listening to this at real time when it comes out, the Mindful Parenting course is about to close enrollment for this fall. We've been having an exciting time in the Mindful Parenting free training with over 3,000 people from all around the world. It's been amazing. Your mama's from... Croatia, from Sweden, from Nigeria, from Pakistan, from Canada and the U.S., from Australia, from all over the place. It's been really wild. So shout out to all those international mamas. And now Mindful Parenting is open for enrollment, and the enrollment is about to close on Thursday the 27th. So I hope you'll join us. And if you have any questions, just tag me on Facebook, or you can email me, hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. And of course, you can go enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. And now, on to this episode. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and a pleasure.
0: Yeah, and it, I had a great time reading your books. Minding mum, it's time to take care of you. And as dear listener, as you can hear in Allison's voice, Allison is Irish, so it's mum, not mom. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's so uh-huh.
1: funny, mum. Anyone? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but this is like basically a survival guide for the first year. And you know, as I was reading it, I was like thinking about, oh, you know, I had the baby book, and I had all these books about the baby, but there's so little attention paid to you. I mean, even like, I, I had these midwives at this birth center, and there's kinda, you know, you're okay, and it's all about the baby, but this this is a survival guide for you, which is so, so needed, oh my gosh. So to take, us, take us back to you had some struggles, that prompted you to write this book. Tell us what started it.
1: It did. Like they always say, everything comes from your own journey. You know, that's where everybody kind of pulls from and writes from. And it was just a very interesting journey for me because I, I'm a single mom and that's not something I expected to be. And my relationship broke up and, you know, before I had my son and, you know, I kind of was living in New York and I moved home to Ireland and I was adjusting to the idea, okay, I'm going to be a single mom and parent on my own. And I think like a lot of moms do, single or not, is nobody really knows what having a baby is going to be like, you know, and I was kind of like, I have always been told, you know, the great thing of you become what you're told. And since I'm a kid, everyone's always like, Oh, Alison is so great with children and you're going to be such a wonderful mother. And so I kind of had this fairy tale story of, you know, I'm going to be married and I'm going to have loads of kids and it's going to be like this fairy tale and all is going to be amazing. So I found kind of how things were working out difficult to come to terms with. Like, remember, I'm from Catholic Ireland, you know, where things are a little different now. But even as little as seven years ago, things were still certainly not where they are today, you know. And um, so I found it difficult to come to terms with that. And I just remember the journey. We look after... Pregnant women like their porcelain, like their really precious china, you know. And they oh, can't. Like,
0: like they anybody canceled. can butt in and tell you what to do when you're pregnant. That's um. <laughs> oh gosh, it. <laughs> and it's Just
1: like don't do this and don't sit down and don't do and don't <laughs> and don't lift anything and you know. And then, like suddenly, you have the baby and you're pushed to the side and it's all about the baby and. I remember when I, when I first had the baby, I was trying to be superwoman and I was doing really well in the beginning, like most moms are, when you're pumped full of that adrenaline and you're up and you're like, oh my God, I'm feeding and everything's amazing and I'm really coping. But of course I was self-employed mm-hmm. and so went back to work ridiculously early when work started to come in because I was living back with my mom. Having lived in Central Park West. now I was living back with my mom in Dublin at 32 thinking how did this happen but we all know how it happens you know we know how babies happen <laughs> and so i was like okay so i need to get back to work and i need to do this and i need to do that and everything was just a rush and a panic so i went back to work and my baby was with me and i was breastfeeding him on the job and like in hindsight when you tell these stories you realize how ludicrous it is but i think when every mom has their baby everybody goes a bit mad for a short space of time between hormones and everything else. I think we all lose it a little bit, you know, before we come back to reality. And I remember then start, a few months later, I started to really struggle and it was kind of like a slow decline. And I just remember crying all the time and there wasn't any particular reason. And then I kind of sunk into this place of not really being even able to change my child's nappy. Like things were just getting worse. The simple everyday things, like just the simple things were just overwhelming for me. Like I just couldn't cope. And I kept going into bookstores and I remember I was, I was in London working and I went into a bookstore and I said to them, do you have a book for new moms? And she was like, yeah, we've got loads of them. And I was like, oh God, amazing. (laughs) And she took me over to this section and it was just about 10,000 books about the baby. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I think she could see how vulnerable I was because I started to kind of tear up and I was shaking a bit. And I was like, no, 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 not a book for the baby. Like, I'm talking about a book for me. And she, she st- stopped for a second and she went, gosh, no, we don't have a book for moms. So at that stage, seven years ago, there was no, like, there is a few books for moms now. But seven years ago, there was not one published book for new moms about mom. That's nuts. About, like what happens to mom? And like I started to think, if we look after our moms and they're healthy and happy and nurtured and nourished, well, then they'll naturally be able to look after the baby through instinct alone, if nothing else, you know? So we've kind of shifted the focus in the wrong direction, you know? And, <laughs> you know, we've we've just left mom as if she kind of pushed it to the side and, you know, all focuses on the baby. Like I make a point now, if my friends have, have children, I don't buy a present for the baby. I buy a present for mom, mm. you know, like something like a bath gel or something for a mom, you know, for her relaxation or just a little token to say thinking about you or, you know, hope you're okay and mind yourself. And obviously my book is a great gift, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, it was a really interesting journey. And I remember even pitching the book, A lot of people were saying to me, you know, if if we needed books for moms, there would be lots out there. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, but like I needed, I couldn't be the only person that needed that book. Like I couldn't be, you know? And the more I opened up, I started doing talks and I really opened up and I was writing for different newspapers and magazines. I started to be flooded with hundreds of emails from women in Ireland saying, oh my goodness, I feel exactly the same way as you. I feel so lonely. I feel so isolated. I didn't think it was going to be like this. Like, I'm so grateful that you have given this a voice and you're talking about it. And I spoke openly about my postnatal depression and so many women were thinking, wow, I can't believe you literally described my experience. And the thing that comes with it as a mom is we feel so guilty because we're like, here we are with this precious little bundle And everybody's just telling you how grateful you should be. And if you're not feeling that way, well, then you just beat up on yourself and it can cause a downward spiral. Like what we were missing for me is the sense of authenticity and honesty. And that doesn't have to mean negativity. And I'm always trying to say that to people. A lot of people think that when we're honest about these topics, that they have to mean it has to kind of translate into negativity. I'm like quite the opposite, actually. Like speaking Mm -hmm. about these subjects is very empowering. Is really empowering for women because to be able to, if you're standing, one woman wrote to me once and she said, I was listening to you on the radio and she said, I was standing in the kitchen with a 15 day old baby and I was absolutely bawling crying and I was beyond, didn't know what to do. My husband was back at work and I felt so ashamed. And she said, I heard you on the radio and all of a sudden those feelings went away. Like if we can do that for each other as women, is that not just incredible? Like we need to hold each other as women during these times in a space of honesty. I remember being in a baby group and, you know, do you remember when everyone's like, my baby's walking and my baby has a tooth and my baby has a hair. And it's like this kind of, you know, we're shoving stuff in the baby's hands, going, hold this, hold this. And then we're like, take a, take a step. And, you know, trying to get them to do things. And then once they do them, you're like, oh God, I wish I didn't ask them to do that. They won't stop. Like We're just never happy. And I remember being in this baby group and, The babies were all, it just felt like now, obviously I wasn't well at the time as well. And I just remember everybody going, oh, my baby's doing this and my baby's doing that. And I just felt this kind of rush of my baby's not doing any of that. And I thought he was doing really well. And I just felt this flood of panic and I started crying. And the other moms turned around to me and they were like, well, actually my baby's not sleeping and my baby's not doing this. And I was like, why, why are you all saying they are? And it was really insightful for me mm. that they co- felt they couldn't be honest. They felt that they had to say, oh yeah, my baby's really good too. And my baby's doing this and my baby's eating three milliliters of this or whatever. And, but once you open up that vulnerability and once I started the conversation, it was like everybody took a deep breath and kind of went, yeah, yeah, I I feel like that too. And there was this great sense of relief that went on in the room. So I started doing a lot of mums groups and doing a lot of things online and doing a lot of talks and just kind of opening up this space, especially with mental health of, we need to talk about these things and giving people the space to do that. And you know, luckily in Ireland, we have come a really, really long way, you know, in a very, very short space of time. And yeah. I think, the, I think we are everywhere. Like I work a lot in America, you know, I mean, I find in the States when I'm open and honest, you know, people will comment under, you know, public posts in Ireland, they'll private message you. So we're not quite at that level yet, if that makes sense. You know, no,
0: I can, I hear you. I mean, it's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm like nodding my head along here because I remember really struggling with my highly sensitive daughter and having, having a lot of challenges and, uh, and feeling like, gosh, am I the only one? I, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I had, um, I had a milieu of, of sort of crunchy moms who are into attachment parenting for whatever that was. That's great for a lot of things. But there is this sense of like, oh, you know, I, I remember I had this one friend and we could talk about how frustrated we were. And it was like, hallelujah. Thank God for you that we can actually talk about that. But there, there is a great taboo against talking about a lot of these things. I mean, I feel that way, you know, when I talk about, the anger and frustration that comes out it's like god forbid we talk about that you know and and say that there's and it it is a great relief just to name it it provides so much relief for people just to say that no i'm not perfect i'm really kind of struggling too and this is really hard too you know it, it it's a great relief and who is
1: perfect? Like, it's, it's really interesting. Like, I came from the modeling world, you know, where mm-hmm. I started at 15 and I traveled the whole world. And I didn't realize how screwy the world, like, you know, because it was my normal. And I didn't realize just how screwy it was, you know, until I, I didn't realize that until I, um, until I came, sorry, my sister just came in with her baby there. So apologies, <laughs> all moms. I'm like, that's why I got distracted. She's like, her toddler just burst into the room.
0: So, we're, we're keeping it real here on the We're really keeping the it real, yeah. Like, I'm really
1: sorry. We all know how quick toddlers move, right? So
0: she probably like turned her back
1: for a second and he was gone. Um, but the one thing is like, you know, what is perfect? And what I, what I realized through all of this is there's a deep sense of fear within people and um, And they fear being judged and we fear being judged because we judge each other, you know, like we fear what we're doing. And it's very difficult to come to that space. And I think being a mindfulness teacher, you know, I always have to kind of check in with myself and take a look at my own judgment and be really honest. Like I'm reading a book at the moment called the soul of money by, Mm. um, God, what's her name? She's an amazing, amazing lady, Karen. And it, it is all about kind of, you know, our relationship with money, but there was a story in it about Mother Teresa. Okay. And she met Mother Teresa, beautiful story. And then this Indian couple came down the hall and they were kind of, you know, vulgar, overweight. This is how she described them, you know, dripping in jewelry. And one of them shoved a camera in her hand and the other one pulled Mother Teresa up, who was very old and fragile at the time and kind of shoved her between them for a photograph. They never said hello, thank you, nothing and walked off. Mother Teresa returned to their conversation exactly like before saying nothing. But she was so incensed and angry that she wrote to Mother Teresa and she just couldn't keep this in. And Mother Teresa wrote back to her and said, it's very easy to show empathy to the poor, but you know, there's the rich people in the world as well whose hearts have hardened and whose lives have been affected by having too much. And it really blew mm. my world wide open because I felt all my judgments that I have had and different things that I have said all come back to me like dominoes during that time. And I think if, if the one thing that we can give to life as a gift and give to ourselves is to keep an open and curious mind and understand that we're all learning all the time. Like mm. no one has this figured out. Mm -hmm. Like I think even the best gurus, teachers in the world, they might be really good at what they do, but no one has it all figured out. That's what we're here for. We're in earth school to learn. We're in earth school to learn forgiveness, to learn you know, how to be a better person. Like the last week of my life, I've learned the true power of kindness. And I think when we become parents, all of those parts of us, almost I put under a magnifying glass. That's how I felt. It was like all of these different parts of me, you know, are now coming to the fore to be looked at. And it's overwhelming. You know, we tend to compare, compare, not only are we comparing ourselves now, but we're comparing our kids, you know, mm-hmm. is my kid better than your kid? Is my kid going to a better school? Is this happening? I feed my kid a better diet. Um, you know, I think we all need to step back and, and understand that every parent is doing their best. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, "I'm going to screw up my kids today." I mean, we all do it. <laughs> you know, it's just part of it's part of the process. But it's like we're all trying to do it a little bit less. You know, we're trying to we're trying to learn as we go. I mean, Dr. Gabor Mate, who's just one of the most beautiful voices in this space, has written a book called How to Hold On to Your Kids, and he just talks about it all so beautifully. And he's like, everybody's trying to do their best job and we need to see each other and hold space for each other and, and listen to each other and allow each other to go, Oh, I think I screwed up. You mm-hmm. know, what would you do in this situation? And having those conversations, it makes us all better people and better
0: parents. I yeah. feel, you know, yeah. that space for vulnerability. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math mysteries about true histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend you check it out to listen to Understood Explains. Just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. And Allison, it sounds like what you're talking about, like this idea of letting go of our yearning for perfection and, yeah. and accepting that we're all here to learn, is really pointing to this idea of self acceptance, right? Accepting ourselves and all our imperfections, accepting that we're not going to do it perfectly, accepting other people, accepting our kids, like this idea of self-acceptance. And I think that you, you know, I think that your book points to that too, like this idea that of accepting and and loving, you know, for instance, your body and accepting the challenges of your mind as well, the thoughts and all those things. I really like how it kind of goes through sort of step-by-step those different things, your mind, your body, you know, you talk about mental maintenance, which I love that as a phrase, mental maintenance, right? Like it's not something we think about that often. No, it's not. And,
1: you know, through my own struggles with depression and anxiety for well over 20 years and, you know, always being given medication as the option, you know, no one ever, I was always drawn to the Buddhist teachings though. And, You know, the Buddhist teachings teach us how to work with the mind. That's essentially what they do. You know, Mm -hmm, they teach us to work with our thoughts, to understand that above all the messiness, there's a clear sky, just Mm -hmm. like the sky that we see, you know, above all those clouds and storms and showers and everything. There is a clear sky up there, you know, there is, it's settled and it's calm. And that's, you know, the gift of things like mindfulness and meditation. But when I started to, I've been meditating for most of my adult life. It's been that would be a whole book in itself, like some of the hilarious journeys. And like when I started meditating, it was not what it is today, you know. So I had some really nice, crazy teachers, and then I had some truly wonderful teachers like Kadam Mortem in New York and Sagya Rinpoche, who wrote the Tibetan book of living and dying. Really extraordinary teachers who, who gifted me with so much kind of inspiration and teachings and knowledge. And once I realized that, like, I have the power to control these thoughts and change them. And through that, I can change my life. That took years for the penny to finally drop. But when it did, it's just such a gift to know that you're in control. I think from a very early age, and it's to do with kind of our society and our schooling, and it's, it's multifactorial. Mm. You know, we're taught that we don't have any power you know, um, that we're powerless and that anytime we need a question answered, we have to ask somebody else. So we ask a teacher or we ask a parent or we ask a friend or we ask, you know, our boss, you know, so, or we go to a doctor. So we always, always, always have to keep outsourcing. And none of us are really taught that we actually hold all the power inside. So as a coach today, my job is to get you to come up with the answers. That's my job because you have the answer, not me. You know, and I think giving people pa- back that power is, is such a wonderful gift. And that's why I love what I do so much, because we only get answers through silence. You know, where we live in an epidemic of being busy. And when you become a parent, that epidemic just loses control, like it just goes yeah. off the charts, like if you were busy before, like if like me, like I was the kind of person that was like, do you understand how busy my life is, like 10 minutes, I mean come on, have you seen my life, you know, the busiest person in the world, you know, when you meet friends and it's like, so wh- how are you, oh god I'm so busy, I'm like booked for six months and it's like this, it's like a competition, it's like going oh, at such and such today, like oh she's so busy or I'm not as busy as her and I just think we need to lose this sense of, What I would love to see is people saying, oh, my God, I'm just wonderful. I have so much time to relax and chill and be with my family. Like, we need to change this narrative that's happening. And we're trying to look for answers in all the wrong places like and it's generally outside of ourselves and that's what I did and I talk about in the book for such a long time and I did it with modeling like I was very good at running away from my problems but my problems were me (laughs) like you know I can't run away from myself so if I was modeling you
0: go there you
2: are
1: (laughs) there you are (laughs) And I remember breaking up my boyfriend in London and going to New York for a couple of weeks and then staying for eight years. And so I wasn't just good at running away, but I went away and stayed away. And then if I couldn't cope there, I'd be, you know, oh, I just go to LA for two months to work. And that was the gift that my job gave me. But it was also quite the opposite as well, because I was never somewhere long enough to have to work through stuff, but then have a baby. And that all changes because now it's like, oh, the world doesn't revolve around me anymore. Now I have to dig deep. Now I have to go inside and do the inner work. If I want to really show up and be a parent, now I, it's not about me anymore. So I had to dig deep. And what I learned on the journey was that I was desperately fearful of all my negative emotions. And like all the therapists and doctors I'd seen for years mm-hmm. just kept, it, like the message I was hearing was that if you can't get rid of your negative emotions, then we'll medicate them away. So like Mm -hmm. for me, sadness, depression, grief, and I lost my father at 21. And you know, all of those emotions were something to be feared and they were wrong. And I felt shameful about them and embarrassed. And so I just used to drink them away, you know? Um, I used to party them away. And I used to do anything to avoid being with myself. And I have learned that silence is the only place that we can heal from and make decisions from and really get answers from. And when you're not giving yourself any silence, you can't grow, you know. And so I really learned that lesson very deeply. But to do the work was very difficult because I had to kind of unearth years and years of suppression. Mm-hmm. and i always say depression is the lack of expression so you know when you suppress it where do you think it goes it doesn't go away <laughs> mm-hmm. it just manifests as something else you know as a mm-hmm. disease with your body or mind but you don't you don't really associate the manifestation of the symptom with what you've suppressed and that's what's going on because the manifestation might not be i don't know for 8 years later you're not going to direct that back to something that happened eight years before that you just didn't mm-hmm. deal with, so I had all of this buried emotional um, baggage, and it's like peeling layers off an onion. Like I believe as human beings that the work is never done, and like you spoke mm-hmm. about acceptance earlier, I have come to the stage of really understanding that nothing will come up for me that I'm not able for, and I had a wonderful teacher that told me that in, the long, in a long with past an asylum retreat, and she kept saying don't be afraid of yourself. Nothing will come up for you that you're not able for. And that was really a gift to hear that at the time, because I think if you're not used to sitting in silence or doing mindfulness, or even having a cup of tea in your own, which can be scary if you never spend time with yourself, we're kind of afraid of our own thoughts. And we're afraid when we're in that silence of what's happening internally, because if you're not used to feeling those emotions, I, I Kind of prefer calling them uncomfortable than negative, like, and then mm-hmm. these uncomfortable emotions start coming up, and you're like, woo I, I don't really like like this, you know, so I'm gonna mm-hmm. try and just kind of push them back down. And um, so, I Out
0: towards that comfort, yeah, yeah. Like you said, I, I really love this. I just want to jump in here with this. What you say in the book that I really liked is the biggest addiction that we have in the modern society's negative thinking and yeah. meditation can help with this, and you talk about stopping your and catching your thought, you know, Mm. using that mindfulness technique of just really interrupting, interrupting the pattern to start to change it.
1: I love that. And it's constant interruption, like living more mindfully. Like I always say, there's no point in sitting on a cushion for 20 minutes in the the morning if you're an asshole for the rest of the day. Like, (laughs) You know, we have this kind of epidemic of mindfulness and meditation. And I always say, none of these words mean anything unless they're practiced. You can read a million books, you can watch a million YouTube videos, but it's how you put it into practice every day in your life. And look, it took me years and years to really understand what living it meant. And because living, it means accepting where you are with grace. That's really what it means. Like accepting exactly where you are, because it's the only place to start from. Like most people come to me and they want to be further along the path than they are. It's just the way we are as human beings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be willing to do the work is facing where you are and to sit mindfulness really is every day sitting with what's happening for you in with a non-judgmental mind without wanting it to be any different. Like that's what mindfulness is. So and that means sitting with all of you, not just the good parts, mm-hmm. all of you. So if you're having a bad day or if you're grieving or you know if you're sad, it means sitting with that, looking at it. And not trying to change it, just observing it. Like that's what the true meaning of mindfulness is. Like we see headlines of mindfulness will make you happier or, you know, mindfulness, like promising all of these, you know, amazing things of mindfulness and definitely being more mindful is amazing. But when you become more mindful, you have to look at everything. <laughs> you know not just a positive things. so a lot of people kind of get a bit disappointed when they start doing meditation because they're like oh I don't know about this because there's kind of difficult things coming up and I'm like yeah but they need to come up to the surface to be seen yeah. and healed you know so there's unfortunately there is no escaping doing the work that's what I've learned there's no shortcuts that would be nice
0: Hunter here I just want to interrupt this conversation for just a minute to tell you about some exciting things we have coming up. Are you frustrated with parenting? Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this. Until now. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child, I knew there had to be a better way, and there is. Mindful parenting is different from other parenting trainings. They don't tell you that all of that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered. Mindful parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so that you can respond rather than react. And it teaches you exactly what to say so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com and you can join us for a free live training coming up soon where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, how your brain undermines your parenting, and how to create cooperative kids without losing your temper. Sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I'll see you there. (laughs) I know, wouldn't it be nice? I get asked a lot for five-minute tips and things, you know, and it's, it's true. It's like there's no escaping doing the work and parenting and motherhood truly bring all those things out. You know, you're called to sometimes think of it like in this sort of Mindfulness world, almost like if there were the option of sitting alone on a mountaintop for six years, or you know, having a a child, the one as as a spiritual path, the the child will show you all the stuff you need to work on much faster.
1: (laughs) I mean, I always say James is my catalyst. He's my he's my greatest teacher. I mean, every day he is my teacher. Like he's constantly, even simple things like today. uh, You know, we were talking earlier that. I obviously am a health coach and a meditation teacher and obviously live a very, very healthy life and I'm never sick. And I went to London ten days ago and we were at a show and all was good. And then the next day a virus took me down within six hours. My seven-year-old was able to ring for help because we've had this conversation because I'm a single parent. So we have had this conversation and which I think was really important by the way for Mm -hmm. parents to have. And lots of parents say to me, Oh, I don't want to scare my child. I'm like Is it not scarier if something happens and they don't know what to do? Is that not scarier for them? Mm -hmm. You know, so he rang for help and I was rushed to hospital and it was bacterial pneumonia and a few other things and I'm doing really well now and recovering. But today I came home and I'm kind of like catching up at work and stuff and he turned around to me and he's like, mommy, can you just put the phone down? And I thought, oh, you see, it's seven. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're constantly like just showing us, you know, you know, give me attention, you know, bringing like what James does for me is consistently and constantly bring me back to the present moment. He is like a mindfulness teacher, you know, cause they live in the present. They're not like us. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, they don't live in the future or the past. They just live in the present and that constant gift of being a parent um, and being challenged, by the way, is a gift as well, because you don't grow unless you're challenged. And children will challenge you, as we all know, like a lot <laughs> yeah. and to the point of tearing your hair out sometimes. But I do, I've never heard the parents saying they would change a day of it. Yeah. As difficult as it can be sometimes, and as difficult as the journey can be, I've never ever heard anyone saying, oh, yes, I would definitely, you know, would change this or do that. Like, I just, for me, being a mom has been a gift on every level, even during the most challenging times, because to be perfectly honest with you, it's during the most challenging times that I grew the most Yeah, into, into the person I am today. And I just feel like since I've become a mom, I really have been able to enjoy the richness that life brings. Like James woke me up, you know, before like my world was like gray and black and white, like James brought color into my world. Like when he started to see an airplane and the, I just remember I don't know if you remember when your girls were young, just the wonder and awe, mm. like these simple things. And I'm thinking to myself when he was a baby, gosh, when did I ever look at an ant in wonder the way they do? You know, like looking at it going, Mama, wow. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I can't even remember doing that. So he brought life back to my life. And he still does. Like he's still like through his appreciation of nature and... They just really enjoy the simple things. You know, when we grow into adults, we make everything very complicated and we need more. You know, we we live in a world of more and more and more. And it's kind of this accumulation of things that we need will bring us happiness. And children just strip that away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all they want is your time. There's a beautiful lady in Ireland called Joanna Fortune, and she's just brought out a book as well called 15 Minute Parenting. And she's incredible. And I remember when James was a baby, she said to me, the greatest gift you can give your child is your presence over presence. Mm. And it stuck with me from that day because I remember my dad died when I was 21. And the only true vivid memories I have of him are time we spent together. Mm. I remember him twirling me around in the garden. I remember him taking me for something to eat when I was in the gale to here, which is Irish college. I remember once when we were on holidays and he took me out in this boat. I don't remember anything dad ever brought me. Nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure
1: he brought me lots of nice stuff, but it's not, it's not showing up as important in my memory. But the times I spent with him are the cuddles we had, you know, watching a movie together Him taking me somewhere, you know, fantastic. Him even taking me car racing. He was into cars. Like Those times I spent with him are precious. And that's that's sometimes what we're missing, you know, today. And I have to remind myself of that all the time, you know, to put down the phone, Mm -hmm. sit with James, give him your time because that's all they want.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a, a wonderful quote by Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh and he says, when you love someone, the best thing you can offer them is your presence. How can you love if you are not there? Yeah. And it's true. So, you know? So beautiful. Oh my and goodness. It was interesting, even the last week being ill, and
1: I'm just never ill. So for me it was a shock, you know. And I remember saying to the doctor, like how did I get sick? you know, that kind of <laughs> moment of what? And the doctor turned around to me and she even wrote it in a report and she said, Perfectly healthy individuals get sick too. Like you didn't do anything wrong. So don't start blaming yourself or thinking. But I was forced to like really slow down, like really slow down. Obviously I was in hospital, you know, you have to slow down. But even I got on the plane last night and, you know, there was an an old couple and the lady could barely walk and she got out of a wheelchair. And as we entered the plane, I saw her, you know, they had like 26 as their row number or something. And myself and my sister were like, well, we're sitting up at the front. Would you like our seats? And they were so grateful. And, I just thought it's only because I've slowed down that I was noticing those things, Mm. you know, if I hadn't slowed down, but I'm thinking how beautiful would it be if we all slowed down a little bit and showed a little more kindness because that doesn't take a lot of effort. Mm. And I always think I believe in the power of human potential. I really do. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing the work I do. I believe that we all have incredible potential if we want it, it's there. And how how powerful would it be if we use just a little bit of it every day
0: to elevate the
3: world? Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks.
2: You've come to the right place.
0: and what you're talking about when what you talk about also in in the book is about really unlocking that and i think that mm-hmm. that whole the whole idea of like this postpartum time and this time for you know mothers and they we kind of squeeze that self-care into the leftover time and what you're really saying here is no 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 this is actually a huge responsibility and it's really vital and it's it, it affects everything and you know it's funny I have a funny note in your book because you and I have do the same exact thing every morning when we wak- wake up apparently <laughs> according to your book uh, you know you said that as as soon as I wake up my eyes I say thank you and put, as I put my feet on the ground I do the same thing Allison. Yeah. I I wrote me too. Uh, (laughs) So what what else do you do to, to keep that energy and to, to what, what are some of the care and maintenance things that, that you share here that, that would help the listener that, that might be some ideas to just keep that, keep that self-care like really as, as a priority. What are some of those things that you do that, that really make a difference for you?
1: I mean, first of all, like get rid of the myth of having no time. So we all have time. Like we, we gotta Amen, get with,
0: sister. you know, it's just
1: <laughs> it's just one of these things we tell ourselves. But it's you know, we're told that. We're told that by the TV, by the media, by everything. You don't have any time, so let us help you, you know, by fast food and everything. So we, we all have time. We make time for what's important. So, and I'm a great proponent now of small changes, small moments often. It's really, really important because I used to be an extremist in all forms. Like when I was modeling, get up at half five in the morning, go to the gym. And that doesn't work. We know that that doesn't work. So even when we look at Jeff Olson's book, The Slight Edge Approach, which, which I think is fantastic read for everybody, you know, he talks about like, the five minutes or the 10 minutes of doing something every day and they're running side by side. And I do it in my clinic with my, with, you know, my clients where, you know, they keep saying to me, is this all I have to do, Alison? And I'm like, if you do that every single day, like eventually when your good and bad habits are run side by side, parallel and they'll keep going and keep going. And you might feel like you're not getting anywhere. And then one day they'll split off. And if you continue with the good habits, they'll split off into positive life, um, experiences, and if you don't, it'll go down the disease negative route. And when I keep saying to people, it's the accumulation of small things that you do. I, I really fully believe in starting your day with intention, you know. So, topping and tailing your day are really important for me. So, starting my day with saying thank you because I am so grateful mm-hmm. to be where I am, to be healthy and happy. You know, I struggled with addictions and depression. And anxiety for most of my life. So, you know, I'm so grateful to have good health and even more so after the last week, like if that's even possible. Mm -hmm. So I always start my day with um, three things I'm grateful for. And I've been writing in a diary since James was a baby and I love it. It just helps me to start my day on this positive note. And, you know, it comes back to that quote, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I just, I love starting my day with gratitude and setting an intention for the day, depending on the day. And then at the end of the day, what's really beautiful is to scan through your day. And I do it with James. We have little gratitude stones beside our bed and we put them in the palm of our hand and we scan through the day. I'm very visual. So I need visual reminders. So as soon as I see that stone, I go, aha, gratitude. So use whatever is, it works for you, you know? And when I put that into my hand, I am. Um, we scan through our day and we chat about stuff, and it's a great way for getting information in your kids, by the way. <laughs> if, if, if you have a child that goes, What's you do in school today? Nothing. What's you learn? Nothing. Well, then the gratitude stone is like a magic stone because all of a sudden they start telling you everything, and you're like, Wow. And you get a real insight to stuff. And I believe that the energy we go to sleep in is the energy we wake up in. So if we can go to sleep in an energy of appreciation, gives us a better chance of starting the next day on a good note as well. And then we start the next day with gratitude and saying, thank you again. So I'm just a great believer in prayer, in intention, in, you know, being the creator of your reality, of watching your thoughts. And when when this becomes a lifestyle, it's actually a beautiful practice. Like in the beginning, yes, it took a while for it to become a habit and all new habits take a while. But once you're, it just is like, it's as normal to me as eating and sleeping now. And obviously I meditate once or twice a day, depending on the day. So those things are, they just come so naturally to me now. But I will say for anyone listening, thinking, oh, I don't know, I used to have post-it notes everywhere, like everywhere.
0: Great tool. So,
1: yeah. Like on my, on my computer screen and I used to have fun with it. Okay, Because the one thing when you're starting to go on this healthy journey is we can start to take ourselves far too seriously. Mm. And that kind of misses the point. So we're still here to have fun and lighten up about things. And so I used to have them on the insides of my kitchen cupboards, like, you know, cool little affirmations that I'd have to say. And then when I pulled down the visor and in the car, I would have something there and I'd forget about them. So when I open them, it'd be a lovely surprise. And I'm like, oh, there's a cool affirmation. So I have like reminders to breathe in my phone every day, but a really important one, I think for parents at the moment, my top tip is keep your phone out of the bedroom and turn off your Wi-Fi at night. I'm doing so much research in this space at the moment. And there's a fabulous um, documentary in the States called Generation Zapped, which I think every parent should watch. And when our phones are on, they're constantly searching for the Wi-Fi signal, you know, wherever it is. And our bodies are stressed because of it and it's causing a lot of disease. So one thing you can do to combat it is to give your body a break, turn off the Wi-Fi in your house at night, put your phone on airplane mode and take it out of your bedroom. You're asleep. Uh, don't even come to me going, but I need my phone for my alarm. The first thing everyone says to me, oh, I can't. I need my phone for my alarm. And what if my daughter rings? Or, you know, we survived a long time without this. So you will notice the difference in your sleep. It might take a few weeks. But every single one of my clients has been like, wow, that was a game changer. Another really powerful way of counteracting the effects of all our phone and Wi-Fi is to ground yourself just on Mother Earth for four minutes every day. And it's a really powerful practice for kids. So if you have kids that are hyper, that are, you know, not sitting still in school, that are starting school and finding it difficult to adjust, take off their socks and shoes and grind them. Mm-hmm. Like Mother Nature gives us everything we need. It has natural electromagnetic waves that actually, you know, counterbalance um, the effects of Wi-Fi and everything. So Mother Nature just asks very little of us but to spend time with her. You know, just think mm-hmm. about when we breathe out, she breathes in and vice versa. You know, we we live in sync with her, but we've become very disconnected from her, from ourselves, from each other. And these small little things, I sleep so well now. I used to have my phone in my bedroom. And, you know, when I started reading all these studies and I was thinking, wow, could it really make that much of a difference? And it really does. And Matthew Walker does so much work in this space as well. So for parents who are not sleeping anyway, (laughs) you know, give yourself the best chance by at least turning off your Wi-Fi.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how some certain little things, like I had been uh, paying attention to that idea that in the book, The Nature Fix, and thinking about just different ways of bringing the natural world in, even without the mosquitoes. So we, we, our house is kind of thick masonry walls on the bottom. So I've been we don't hear any of the sounds from outside. So I've been playing on YouTube. They have these like eight hour long videos of like a forest and birds singing. So I've been playing that in the house and it's like sort of corny, I suppose, but it feels so nice. Like your whole body's like, ah, it just feels right. You know, it just feels really good.
1: Using all our senses, our senses are important. And when we look at like mindfulness meditation, we look at standing meditation, walking meditation, listening meditation, both inside and outside our body. So we're using all the senses, you know, to really awaken and get in touch with the world around us. And they have done studies that patients in hospitals who can see nature from their window recover mm-hmm. far faster than patients who have no view of nature. Now, that's incredible. So simply just being able to see it. So you can imagine as well, the same would be hearing it. You know, music can relax us, can give us energy. Like we have discos in my house, like all the time, because Mm -hmm. the only way to break a child's kind of bad mood or tantrum in my house is to have a disco because eventually (laughs) they start laughing, you know? So if you start dancing silly and acting silly, because what does it do? It moves your energy around your body. Like what are emotions? Emotions are energy in motion Yeah. and emotions get stuck when we're still. So if you want to move emotions around, move your body. You know, yeah. emotions want to keep moving. You know, that's what they are. They're not going to be here forever. So I always say to people, if you're having a really bad day and you're really sad, the great news is you're not going to feel this way forever because yeah. they move on.
0: It moves I, on. I have to share a story with you on that. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, Just yesterday was the first day of school for my daughters and they're kind of tired because they woke up early and they were just like cranky and they thought it was going to be this fun night, but everyone was crying for various reasons. We're all upset. And so I put on, I put on, my favorite things from the sound of music on the, on the stereo. And then it just started playing through like all the different songs from the sound of music. And it was so funny by the end of the sound of music, soundtrack, everybody's singing. Just, yeah. like, it was like a huge game changer. Yeah. Can just sing. It's huge. And
1: sometimes like we overthink these things. It's like, Oh, how can I deal with this? Sometimes just put on a track. And, and for people I always say at their desks as well, like take brain breaks, move around. Like as a mom, go into a room, turn up music and dance for a few minutes. Like let that excess energy out. Or if you're getting pent up with your kids and stuff, sometimes we just need to scream into a pillow or move our body or just get rid of it somehow, you know, get it out. So it is the power. Of- oh, I love the sound of music as well. You just brought <laughs> back so many memories.
0: I was just like,
1: Oh, I love it.
0: <laughs> I got all sorts of strange questions about captain von Trapp. Why is it, you know, that one do yeah. I they sing? I don't know. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but um I wish we had time to cover it all but in your book Allison you talk about you know because you had this modeling career you, when you were saying earlier in our conversation you went back to work your job you're going back to modeling which is a whole different kind of job that most people so bring up these ideas of body image and so You talk about this ideas of just kind of catching, doing even that catching that those negative thoughts and and kind of turning that around with our thoughts about our body as well.
1: Yeah. And I always, it's stop, catch, change. So stop your thoughts, stop, stop yourself first is what we need to do, which is like really being aware of what's happening, catch it and change it to a more positive one. And you know, this takes practice and time. And it really is like the first stage is awareness. A lot of people stop at that stage because they kind of become aware of the overwhelming amount of negative thoughts they have. And they're like, eh, I kind of prefer when I wasn't aware of this, let (laughs) me go back. But what I, what I noticed about, I didn't think I had much body image issues, to be honest with you, until I got pregnant and had my, I loved being pregnant by the way. But afterwards my body changed so much. I kind of realized how ridiculous my job is. It's like, oh wow, I can't work until I get back into certain size of clothing. And when we have babies, our body changes. You know, our body just, I, I feel anyway, my body changed, the shape of my body mm-hmm. changed. Even the clothes I had before, it looked different and felt different, even when I had lost most of the weight. And I just felt different about myself and this body. And I was like, look at what my body has created. Like my job is based on aesthetics, what you look like. It's never about what's inside. And I realized that subconsciously I had picked up a lot of, you know, negative body images and you know, different things about myself that I wasn't happy with. And it was time to work through that. And I started to switch it over to that my body was complete miracle. And it was actually one of the first times that I really, truly appreciated my body mm-hmm. and kind of valued it. I, I felt before I was very detached from my body, you know, and um, probably very depersonalized anyway in my industry. You know, it's. Mm-hmm it's, it's kind of not a great industry for confidence. <laughs> um, so, you know, then after a baby and, you know, people are, people don't care what they're saying. They're like, Oh, you're still fat after having a baby. When are you going to lose the weight? I thought you were breastfeeding. Should the weight not be coming off quicker or, you know, Oh, you're still a bit heavy after the baby. And people say these things. And I realized that people were, had always said these things, my awareness and who I was changed. Mm. And suddenly I was hearing things differently. And I'm thinking, wow. Has this always been like this? And I'm just so used to it that I never noticed. And I realised that I had become used to absolutely, like, just a level of kind of looking back at it now, like the whole Me Too campaign and everything. Just it kind of almost like an abuse on women that, like. Mm. I would now in the person I am now never tolerate, you know, but we just don't speak up and we don't question things. And you get so used to being measured all the time and, you know, different parts of your body being commented on. And I really made peace with my body when I realized, like I loved breastfeeding James. I had, desperate desperate time trying to breastfeed him he was tongue tied and like it was just a nightmare and i never really thought about it but i had such a difficult time trying to feed but eventually when i could i i stuck with it for a while you know mm-hmm. and i just remember thinking gosh we are such a miracle you know as human beings women are just miracle beings and mm-hmm. i started to really value you know what I had just gone through, what I had done, being a little easier on myself, you know, understanding that I I wasn't really comfortable with being defined on the size of my body anymore. Like there was more to me than that. And obviously went back to college and started to make changes that way. But I spoke to so many women and we all have body image hangups for a variety of different reasons, you know, from magazines or from things we learn in school. And just because you're in the fashion industry, you know, means nothing. I think at this level, women are all equal because of what we're being fed, because of this picture of perfection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just if we don't fit into a a certain type of body, well, then we're just not good enough. And this all comes back again to this disease we all suffer from of, I'm not good enough. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Everybody, I say it's, Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough itis that we all have. And for me, I just looked at if your body wasn't good enough before you're definitely, it's not going to be good enough after, you know, like, and that's what a lot of women I work with struggle with, you know, they weren't happy before. And, and so they're really unhappy now, but I always say it's not about the body. There's something deeper going on. You know, there's something you're not looking at within yourself that you're not happy with. I think all of these things like body and stuff can just be a, you know, something that we focus on to, place our attention away from what's really paining us
0: yeah like if I fix this then I'm gonna then I'm gonna accept myself then I love many
1: of us used to think when we were teenagers that if we were like really skinny and a perfect size and we looked a certain way and you know I was in the modeling industry where it's it's a world of comparison and no matter how beautiful and tall and thin you were you were still never beautiful tall and thin enough like you were never going to be enough, like your agency would still say, but you still should lose a bit of weight here, or you still should tone up here, or your skin is not great. So, you know, we're never going to reach this stage of enoughness. And that's what I was talking about earlier about trying to fix ourselves from the outside in, because when we try to do that, there's nothing outside of us that's ever going to be enough to give us the sense of satisfaction that we can only get from within. Like I always say to people, it's an inside out world. We're just not taught that way from kids. But you know, we can only fix things from the inside out. And you can be calm in the midst of a storm going on around you if you do the work on yourself.
0: I love this, Alison. I love how you how you brought it back. And what I'm really kind of hearing from you is that that there's all this stuff out there. There's all these things happening and it all comes back to your internal experience, your Mm. perception, how you're treating yourself, how you're loving yourself, how you're caring for your mind, how you're caring for your body and actively appreciating, actively appreciating what you have. So for the listener who's like, yes, I want some of this, I need to take some steps. What are some of the first things you recommend, the first, some of the first good habits that you recommend to the person who feels busy and feels overwhelmed?
1: Well, I always say awareness is the agent for change, okay? So awareness, being aware of what is actually going on and the habits that you have and being willing to change them and work with yourself in a really easy way. So one of my uh, coaches in UCLA, Rebecca Peters, who I adore, said to me one day, mindfulness without self-compassion causes anxiety.
0: Oh, I like that, yeah, and it really
1: resonated with me when I was training with her and because it really does because if you're sitting on your own and you're yeah. not used to working with your emotions and you don't meet that with self compassion and kindness, you know then you are going to feel anxious about yourself. so the greatest gift we can give ourselves first is kindness, and no matter what's happening, I always say to people who find this difficult to write a letter to themselves and mm-hmm. um, which is something that people you know different people will find different ways of working with things, but like Even speaking to yourself as you would a friend, like, that's okay, pet. Like, I see you, I hear you, and I'm here for you. But you're talking to yourself. And very often when you do that, you'll actually feel your heart open up. A lot of people cry because we're not used to being kind to ourselves. And when you start to be kind to yourself, it can actually be a little uncomfortable. And when you do, you can get quite emotional, but like tears are cleansing, you know, our bodies are 70% water and we're so fearful of crying because it's usually, you know, goes with feeling sad. Sometimes we can cry just to release energy and release emotions, but being kind to yourself is one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself. And then start with gratitude. Start keeping a gratitude journal because the gratitude will change how you see the world, and will bring more of it to you. So you attract into your world how you're feeling about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I never used to believe this. I read about it, you know. Oh, it, you know, the world of attraction and the law of attraction and all of this. But I do remember in New York when I wasn't living a very healthy lifestyle and I was partying all the time. And I just remember I always used to have a series series of bad luck. You know, things used to happen to me all the time, and those things don't happen to me anymore. Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm not attracting those kinds of experiences into me. Like I used to attract all sorts of dark experiences into me, but I was in a very dark place in my life. So I I think like we are a product of our environment and how we think. And I always say to people, start really small and you'll be, you'll be really surprised at the power of kindness. A lot of people find that the most challenging step is to Mm -hmm. actually stop and be nice to yourself and understand that it's You know, we have to take small moments often, even if it's just connecting with our breath and coming into the present moment and and building slowly. And I'm talking like building from 15 to 30 seconds upwards. Sitting for 30 seconds is a long time if you've never sat in your own, ever. It is a long time. And just build that slowly and get comfortable in your own company. Because, you know, I always say to people, the only relationship you have for your entire life Like your kids will come and go. Your partners will come and go. Your parents will come and go. The only relationship you have for your entire life is the one you have with yourself. So does it not make sense to work on that one first?
0: I love that. That's so beautiful. Alison, I... To the listener, I really, you know, encourage you to minding mom is a great way, is absolutely a great gift for anybody who will be having kids or really just for for anybody who wants to dive into some of the things that we talked about here. And Alison, I want to thank you. Before we go, I want to give people a chance to reach out to you. Where can they find you and the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah. So my
0: website is allisoncanavan.com.
1: So, allisoncanavan.com, Alison A L I S O N C A N A V A N. And all my details are up in that. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> and thank you for doing the Mindful Mama podcast. It's such, it's so important. And, um, you know, for moms everywhere. So yeah, I'm very grateful for the work you do and for having me as a guest.
0: Oh, thank you, and and it's been a lot of fun. You're you're taking me back to my my trip to Ireland a few years ago, and <laughs> and all the wonderful chatty conversations I had there, not about mindfulness, but yeah. I really want to share. Thank you for the honesty you're bringing to these issues, and like down to earth voice that you're bringing, and the realness. It's super refreshing and. I really appreciate it. And I, I know that other people are, you know, it's really making an effect. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. I love what Allison had to say about healing and about quiet. And the incredible importance of all of that, I mean, it really comes home to me, absolutely. So I hope that this fed your soul, this conversation as much as it did mine. And I want to just let you know again real quickly that the Mindful Parenting course enrollment is closing in just a few days. If you're listening to this in real time, if you're listening to this in the future, maybe you can catch us another time. And you can go find out at mindfulparentingcourse.com. And you can enroll and check it out at mindfulparentingcourse.com. And otherwise, I can't wait to see you again soon. I'm looking forward to seeing some peeps in California soon. Taking a group to Costa Rica in next April. All kinds of fun things happening. You can find out more about everything at mindfulmamamentor.com. I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I wish you some sunshine. I wish you some fresh air. I wish you some deep breaths to calm and cool the body and the mind. And I wish you some peace and some happiness, too. All right. Thank you so much for listening, my friend. Namaste. Are you frustrated with parenting? Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this. Until now. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child, I knew there had to be a better way, and there is. Mindful Parenting is different from other parenting trainings. They don't tell you that all of that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered. Mindful parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so that you can respond rather than react and it teaches you exactly what to say so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com and you can join us for a free live training coming up soon where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, how your brain undermines your parenting. And how to create cooperative kids without losing your temper. Sign up now at slash free training. That's slash free training. I'll see you there.
4: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence